put feet to our faith and, and take some action and share this message that we believe is powerful and it's worth our sacrifice. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're just going to look at five verses and I, I would like to highlight uh, just some, some key aspects of the Apostle Paul's ministry, who I think was one of the greatest evangelists, apostles, church planners. I mean, this brother had an impact. Of course, he got to write 13 of the New Testament uh, books of the Bible. So uh, we, we definitely got to give some props to this guy. This guy uh, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So he had the first five books of the Bible memorized. This guy was sharp. But he was, a, he was like a terrorist against Christians. And God knocked him off of his horse, radically saved him, and he became just one of the greatest leaders uh, in the Christian movement. Amen? Amen? Amen. Uh, just to let y'all know that God's speaking, I preached out of this exact same scripture last night. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Woo! We're in tune now. <laughs> all right. All right. Come on. Here we go. Well, I tell you what, I've, I've been, I've really sensed that this is, this is the Lord as well. So praise God. That, that is an affirmation. Thank you. First Corinthians, first Corinthians two, one through five. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty, lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. One commentator says this, it says, he says that orators followed certain well-established conventions when they entered a city and they were expected to give flowery speeches in praise of the city and their personal achievements. And they did this in order to establish the reputation and reap financial rewards as political orators and teachers of the rich. Paul makes it clear in verse 1 and 2 that he rejected the entry conventions which displayed classical eloquence or wisdom as he proclaimed the testimony about God, which was to Jesus Christ and him crucified. He had resolved what his content of his message would be before arriving. And so a couple things here. I got three points for us before we go out. And the first one is keep it simple. Yes. Paul ministered with simplicity. Though this brother was academic and was sharp, and was studied, and he could reason with the brother, and he did reason with the brother. And he reasoned with a lot of folks. He reasoned with the Jews in the synagogues that Jesus was the Messiah. He reasoned with the, with the governor, uh, I believe Felix. He reasoned with him concerning righteousness and judgment to come and self-control. He reasoned. He was very, he was very good at apologetics. He could, he could hold his weight when it came to intellectual arguments and discussions. But he determined that when he would go to the Corinthians, that he would just simply preach Jesus and him crucified. Because Paul believed something, something that he already said in chapter 1, verse 18, that the message of the cross is foolishness, it's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is 
the power of God. It's the power of God. While to many who aren't being saved, it's, it's just foolishness. It's rubbish. Like, come on, Paul, like, tell me something theolog- tell me something educationally deep and profound and blow me away with philosophy, Paul. Win my mind. You see, Paul was good at apologetics and he could reason with folks. And I think there's a legitimate place for apologetics in evangelism. But we must know its limitations because ultimately we need in our evangelism and in in our Christian life, we need the spirit of God to come in and break through and open eyes and open hearts. And the gospel message, the message of the cross is powerful to us who believe, to us who are being saved. And so Paul resolved, he's just going to go with simplicity. He has a simple message. Jesus died for our sins. We're sinners. Jesus died for our sins. We have a simple message we're going to go out with today. And sometimes all our education, educational training and theological training and all the stuff we've learned over the years, can sometimes that can actually be a hindrance to being an effective evangelist. I mean, there, Paul had to count all that stuff as dung compared to the excellence of knowing Jesus. He did that. He's just like, all that stuff, while in the world's eyes, that means a whole lot. It's, it's dumb. Philippians chapter 3. And so keep the message simple. We have a simple message, a simple gospel. that Children can get this. You don't have to learn how to read and write and take some systematic, systematic theology classes before you can understand the gospel and be saved. God just set it up that way, that we have a simple message, good news to proclaim. So, if you're here today and you're going out and you're like, well, if one of your struggles when it comes to evangelism is, I don't know all the answers, let that just be knocked down. Okay? You don't know all the answers, that's okay. I love what Billy Graham says, I don't know all the answers, but I know him who does. And actually, if you think you know all the answers and you come across to somebody as you know all the answers, you are going to be less effective in winning them for the gospel's sake. And so just being simple, you know, like the the blind man that Jesus healed, he was like, I was blind and now I see. I just, this guy, Jesus healed me and just, you know, that's my testimony, right? And so we testify to the simple gospel. I I heard it. I believed it. It makes sense. You know, Jesus died for my sins. He was buried, was raised from the dead. Now I'm forgiven. Now I'm free. I mean, everything's changed for me from the inside out. I think testimonies are powerful. Sharing your testimony as, as we evangelize. And even if you don't have this, like, you know, you were... You were delivered from drugs in prison in the fourth grade and, and, and you know, the Lord set you free. Uh, you know, even if you don't have that kind of testimony, you can testify to the simple uh, gospel truth of how God set you free from self-righteousness, from, from thinking you're better than everybody else because you're such a squeaky clean person and Christian all your life. Testimonies are powerful, but, but know that sharing your testimony alone is not evangelism. Uh, we, can, we can share our testimony and that's the effects of, of evangelism. That's the effects of the gospel in our lives. We came to faith. But your testimony is not the gospel. People aren't going to get saved because they heard the gospel of Andrew. This is what Jesus did in my life, right? They're going to get saved because they heard and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, we don't, you know, in other places, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. We preach Christ and him crucified. 
And so there, there's, this, there's this freedom in ministering with simplicity. There's this freedom in doing church with simplicity. There's this freedom in doing life with simplicity. We can make things a lot more complicated than it really is. We can overthink it. Some, many Christians don't evangelize because they're overthinking it. Like, what if I say this or how should I, you know, they're, they're, they're overanalyzing and they get, they get paralyzed because they're, they've overanalyzed and they do nothing because they're thinking everything has to be perfect before they step out and they share the gospel with somebody. Like, just say something, just walk up to somebody and say, hi, my name's Keith. How are you? Look them in the eye. Greet people. Just, just, just be present there. Say, hey man, how are you? You don't have to be cool. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be their race. You don't have to be their age. You don't even have to speak their language. You can pull out your phone and share with somebody in Arabic the gospel message. If they don't speak English, you can do Google Translate. You can pull up your version Bible and show them John 3.16 in Arabic and say, hey, hey, check this out. And they can read it and they can hear the gospel just through you being right there and you showing them. I, I was able to do that. We had a, we had a, a family from um, Iraq coming to our church and I, I was able to just use Google Translate and it was so cool. It was just a neat experience for me. We sat down and we were in that building across the way there and I'm just sharing the gospel. And I could just see the wheels turning like, oh, he's saying Jesus is God. So they were wrestling with that. They were like, mm-hmm. I could see the facial expressions. I could tell what was going on. So let's keep it simple. Uh, I need to keep it simple this morning and short. <laughs> so Paul ministered with a sense of simplicity, and so should we. Paul ministered with sincerity. Look at verse 4. And I was with you with weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and message were not plausible words of, of, of plausible words of wisdom. We live in a culture today that has a high sensitivity to inauthenticity and insincerity. I mean, you just, you think about the people, the politicians, the leaders, those that folks gravitate towards to these days. They're just, there's, there's a sincerity that we, we hunger for authenticity, for real. Just be real. Don't, don't give me this polished speech. Don't give me this, this, this polished sales pitch. I don't want it. You know, people don't want, they want authenticity. Just be you. And that means you have a lot of weaknesses and fears, intimidations, and, and just struggles that you bring in to these encounters. And you know what? That's actually okay. And that's, that can actually be good in being persuasive and winsome to people. When they, when you actually let down the walls and you, you, maybe you stumble in your words a little bit, or maybe you say, you know what? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to look that up. That's okay. Because if they think you're Mr. or Mrs. Know-it-all, then they may be less receptive to hear what you have to say about Jesus. Um, I think most Christians don't share the gospel because of fear, fear of failure, fear of man, fear of rejection, and, and so on. And, and I love that Paul can admit this here, that, that he was with them in weakness and fear and much trembling. But I think Paul, Paul is definitely reminded of something here, that, that, the, that their faith should be not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so, you know, one of the, one of the illustrations that I think about with this is my wife. And just my wife, the way that she's, she's, she's designed, she's more soft-spoken and gracious and kind. Um, you know, one, one time I saw her... 
we had a neighbor who seemed to be living in an adulterous relationship or uh, immoral relationship, and he was a professing Christian. And one time I, my wife had this thing rise up inside of her that she needed to go talk to this brother and confront him. He's a professing Christian. And I'm like, okay, go for it. I'll pray for you. All right. I don't want to gang up on him and be like, both of us go over there and be like, okay, we're going to talk. So she goes just humbly and graciously and just prayed up. And I'm back at the house. Look, I'm praying, praying like crazy, like crazy charismatic. Lord, you there. And she just goes over there in her weakness and in, in her in, in her personality. Like that is totally, if you know her, that's totally out of the box for Kendall. She doesn't just go up to somebody and confront them in a sense like, like that. And she did it. She did it. And I thought, man. That that was a gift from God to this brother, our, our neighbor there, that he would send somebody so gracious and kind. And in her weakness, God's strength yes. is made perfect. In your weakness, in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. So if you're weak and you've got some fears and you've got some trembling, that's actually okay. Because God can fill your weakness with his strength, yes. with boldness, with power. Just keep it simple and just be sincere. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Be yourself. Share the message. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.17, he says, We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are not going out as salesmen and saleswomen. Today to try to get people to buy something they don't need and something they don't want. Okay, and we're not peddlers. We're not. We're not. We're not going to be deceitful and 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 try to candy coat the message and just try to get somebody to just say this prayer. It's okay. You don't have to believe it all the way. Just just say this prayer. Just come to church. It's okay. We're not trying to do that. We're not trying to get a sale. We're not trying to get a notch in our belt. We are offering. We're giving something away, something that we've experienced. We're giving the good news of Jesus Christ away. And through believing in that, there is eternal life, salvation that God is giving away to anybody, whosoever will believe. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. That's simple And we can share that in sincerity. And so don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty like you're a salesman knocking on people's door, trying to get them to buy something they don't need and something they don't want. The message of the gospel is something they desperately need, and most people don't know it. They have these deep needs and brokenness with inside them, and they just don't know it. And they think, well, if they just got... This much money, if they just got this job, if they just got married, if they just had children, if they just had whatever, this is what I need and I will be happy. This is what I need in life. And God says, no, it's the gospel. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And so we should share that with sincerity. Last point here is Paul ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. So verse five. So he he didn't speak with eloquence and plausible words, uh, but he but in demonstration of the spirit and power, 
so that their faith would rest not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was entering a culture where people's faith was in the wisdom of men, in the philosophy of the day, in those who had the best arguments and the best ideas and the best stories. And Paul's like, no, man, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to try to come at you like that. I'm going to just bring the gospel and I'm going to depend on the Spirit's power to help me. Because we, and this is key, this is key, we don't have to do evangelism in our own strength. We, we don't go out there by ourselves. First of all, this is not, this is not our idea. We, we didn't come up with this. Hey, let's go evangelize so we can put ourselves at risk, so we can be rejected and sound crazy to people that we don't know and get people to not like us because we're interrupting their day or whatever, right? So this isn't our idea. This is God's idea that we, that his church would go out, out of the four walls, out of our holy huddles and our comfort zones into the places where sinners are, into the dark places, the places of bondage, into the place that needs light and shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's God's idea, not ours. And, and when we're, what we're doing today is we're just lining up with what, what he already said to do. And, and there's something really special about doing that, because when you make yourself available to God, he will take you up on that offer. He will take your life. He will fill it. He will use it. He will work through you by his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is in you, and he goes with you, and he will speak through you. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Acts, Acts 1a, it says, Jesus told his followers, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the, in Samaria and to, to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit gives believers power to be effective witnesses. And a witness doesn't have to know everything. Okay, a, a witness in court, they just need to testify what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. Just, just testify of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. Just, just share it simply in sincerity. Just be real. Leave the results up to God. Because the results aren't your responsibility. It's not your responsibility to save anybody, to change anybody. God saves people. We just, we're just the mailmen. We just deliver the mail. And if they'll open it up and if they believe that message, there is power in it for them to change their lives, to save their lives. So what does the Holy Spirit do? And, 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 and what does that look like to, when we're in these conversations with people? Uh, what what one of the questions I have, and, and I just realized this, I, I'm just articulating it now, but I do this all the time. When I'm talking to people in evangelistic conversations, I, th- I think to myself, what does the Spirit of God, what does God want to emphasize and put his finger on in this person's life? What's the issue? Because there may be all kinds of rabbit trails that they want to talk about and, and, and or that I may be interested in talking about but but what is the pressing issue that these brothers or sisters these these folks have with god what beliefs about god about the world about themselves what lies have they believed what what are the strongholds what's the pressing issue that god wants to hit on in in those conversations and so in john chapter 16 uh jesus said that the holy spirit would come and you know what he would do he would convict the world of what? Sin. Righteousness. Judgment to come. Let's see. So that's uh, John chapter uh, 16. He says he'll come and convict the world of sin. So, so sin is something that we need to talk about in these conversations. 
and not like stuff like, well, you know, smoking cigarettes or there, there's, there's, there's external things like that we can focus on. But there's these deeper things, root things, issues of sin, idolatry, rebellion against God that are that are more concerning to God and would be more beneficial for us to hit on uh, as we're talking to folks. And so. As we're in these evangelistic conversations, I think the Holy Spirit wants to take us to talk about sin. Paul starts off in Romans. Before he gets to the good news, he goes to the bad news. And, and as we see, the method that we're going to use today starts with the bad news. Okay, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so the good news doesn't make any sense if you don't understand the bad news. I mean, why would a doctor give a prescription to somebody that they haven't diagnosed? Why would a dentist do a root canal on somebody they haven't done x-rays on, right? And so we've been x-rayed, we've been diagnosed by Almighty God, and he says, you got a deep problem. You need a Savior. You have a sin problem, you need a Savior. And so the Holy Spirit takes us to talk about sin. He leads us in those conversations, but he doesn't stay there. John sixteen fourteen says that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this, he will glorify me and take what is mine and declare to you. The Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus. The Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus. So in these evangelistic conversations, we want to go not only to talk about sin, but we want to talk about Jesus. That's the aim. That's where we want to go. That's where the, that's the sweet spot. That's where the power is at. That's where the change comes. That's where the hope comes. That's where the freedom comes. That's where there's beauty He's the one who wins our hearts. And so he glorifies Jesus. He puts the spotlight on Jesus. He opens people's eyes to see Jesus is the answer. Amen? And so, so we want to follow the, his leading to talk about sin, to address those things. Follow his leading to talk about Jesus with people. So, so we have this uh, bracelet that we're using. So this is one of the... the Simple methods that we use with uh, Revive Texas, and we're going to use it today. Kind of the, the, the outline is, and I wanted to have this up there. I couldn't find it. I had it. Um, so there's, there's four things. So we, we listen, we love, discern, and respond. Okay, so in conversations, one of the, one of the approaches, one of the hardest things for, for Christians is to break the ice and actually get into the conversation. Some of us are rock stars once we're in the conversation about God, right? Some of us be like, once we're talking about God, I'm, I'm all in. I'll, I'll say whatever I need to say. But it's like getting into those conversations. Breaking the ice is the hard part. It's the awkward moment that we have to push past. Press past it. Just be yourself. Be, be weak if you're weak. If you're a little afraid, it's okay. But press. don't let the fear keep you back. Press past the fear, the intimidation. Press past the rejection in love. Love the people, whether they reject you or not, whether they listen to you or not. Love them and, 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 and talk to them and, and say, hey, can we pray for you for anything? So this, that's the approach. Hey, can we pray for you for anything? And what, what better way to show somebody you love them by, by just expressing the care that you want to pray for them and you care about what's going on in their life and sincerely. And, and is there anything we can pray for you? A lot of times you can, from that question... You, you get direction of where you need to go in the conversation. Can I pray for you for anything? Yeah, we, you know, I just lost my job. Or, yeah, you know, I'm struggling with this addiction. Uh, I had a lady uh, not a few months ago. We pulled up on her street, and I asked her, you know, hey, can I pray for you for anything? And she just bust out. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm addicted to whatever. 
you know, crack. And she, I mean, she just, one question, I mean, you know, and, and then she asked for a ride. I had my kids with me. Can, can you give me a ride up the street? By? I'm like, oh, oh, Lord, give me wisdom here. And I gave her a ride. And I prayed and like, Lord, and, 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 and I used that. I used that. Um, I was actually in the middle of my kid was in the back. My son was in the back, brokenhearted over his Lego piece that he lost. And I was talking to him about idolatry and how idolatry <laughs> breaks your heart. Those who chase after other gods will be filled with sorrow, Carson. Psalm 16:4. And these Legos are idols and they're just breaking your heart. Stop worshiping them, son. You need Jesus. So we're having that conversation, and I'm not talking like that with him about it, but he's in the back of the van. And so this lady who's addicted, who, who is, has the same thing going on, her drug is her God. And her heart's broken. Her life is broken because she's been worshiping that thing, loving that thing. And I just got to make, make the connection. You know, I got my son's back here feeling the same way or similar because he's... He loves his Lego and he lost this little piece of plastic. I don't know how such a small piece of plastic can have such a stronghold on somebody's heart. <laughs> but we have the same things. We have our idols just look a little bit different, a little bit bigger, right? And they just get our hearts. And so God comes to set us free from that. He knows that he's the only one we can love with all of our heart and not have our heart broken. He's the safe place for us. He's the Savior. And so we want to bring people graciously to that, not only to talk about sin. Actually, the yellow represents sin, Romans 3.23. Okay? And then the black represents death, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Okay? And so what you can do, if you don't have these memorized, and this is great, just have, take a Bible, have them read it, and say, hey, can you read that? It's highlighted right there. Will you read that, please, young lady? For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so you just have them read it and, and, and ask them, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Now, they may not have time. If their body language is telling you they don't have time, like they need to go to the bathroom, they're, they're waiting on somebody, uh, the preacher's gone too long, uh, then, then like, uh, like just re- try to read that and, and, and maybe just quote it to them or maybe just give them, you know, just give, the, give it to them or give them the bracelet or just say a quick prayer for them. But if they have time, take them through it. Have them read it. And, and, or you could just explain it to them. So the wages of sin is death. That's the black. And then the red represents love. Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners. All right. That's what I like to hear. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 represents faith. Faith. Yeah. By grace you have been saved. Faith. Not of works. It's the gift of God. Right. This is the most common misconception that I have found when it comes to folks in the Bible Belt about salvation and, and, and they, they just they think that they just need a that they've been good and, and maybe good enough to get to heaven or they can try a little bit harder and be a little bit better and they can get there and so we got to knock that lie down graciously okay reason with them talk with them the Holy Spirit wants to knock that lie down okay and then this, the green represents life, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. For with the, with the, mouth, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And on this, let me just say this, we're not trying to get people to just parrot those words. Just, just, just repeat after me, say these words and you're in, right? 
We, that's not that's not the goal. We want appeal. We want to appeal to their hearts that that confession would come out of faith that has arisen in their hearts in Jesus. So they believe in their heart. They confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And and so be careful. Be careful of of aiming to just get somebody to say quote the sinner's prayer. Because they may not be saved at all, and you may have actually did a disservice. You may have made them feel better about living their lifestyle of sin because they got their ticket punched in their mind. They got, they got fire insurance in their mind, and now they can just go sin all they want, right? So, so be careful. I've, I've been guilty of this, and so be careful of that. So that's it. Uh, that's the basic message. There's a lot of other practical things. Let's form teams. Thank you, buddy.